what's up, everybody? That smell is a real car. We finally got a real car. Took us eight messages, and we finally got an American sports car on the platform. What's up, everybody? Welcome to part four of Zero to 60. It's so good to have you in the house today. Want to pause for a minute to say hello to our church family meeting in other locations. Those of you who are joining us live online through itownchurch.com. And, of course, our church family in correctional facilities all across the state. Come on, church, one more time. Would you put your hands together? Welcome each other today. It is National Foster Care Awareness Month, as Abby just said, and that's why I'm wearing this T-shirt today. We have T-shirts available in the lobby because every dollar that is spent towards these T-shirts goes to support kids in foster care. We'll tell you more about that Throughout the day, throughout the message, we're very excited about it. And we've got one more announcement to make that kind of got made for us. We have been working really hard on developing a plan for our Bluffton church family. And uh, I found out on Friday, before we had the chance to announce it to the church, that the news kind of blew it for us. So it says right here, the Bluffton news, it says the, the, right on the front page, APC OK's plan for church complex. We are building in Bluffton, everybody. Praise God for that. We have been working, for those of you that have been on the journey with us, we've been working for a couple of years. We purchased the land cash and have been struggling to just try to figure out what the right building is to put on that property. Even considered buying another building and retrofitting it to get Bluffton into a campus as fast as possible, but none of those seem to work out. So we have an 18,000 square foot plan and we are going to be breaking ground soon. We don't have the final numbers in yet. And so that's what we're waiting for, to tell everybody about it. By faith, we're praying that the Lord would help us to be able to build this as close to all cash as possible so the church doesn't have to acquire any additional debt in order to do it. And so we're going to be casting all that vision soon. But it's going to have a cafe and all of the amenities that all of our other campuses have. It's going to be a place to reach people for Jesus in the city of Bluffton for generations. Amen, everybody. We're excited about it. Pastor Caleb's doing an amazing job. His wife, Kelsey, we love you guys. Want to thank Leander and Tyson. Both of you guys have played integral roles. Thank you, thank you, thank you for all that you've done for our church family there. And we are excited. As soon as we get the numbers back, we'll sit down with our trustees. And Kate and I will pray through the decisions that have to be made, come up with a budget with our trustees that is acceptable. We'll be presenting all of that to you, and uh, prayerfully we'll be getting to that very quickly. If you want to turn in your Bibles today, go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 14. Matthew chapter 14. Let me read a verse to you from Hebrews 11, then we'll talk about the cars, then we'll jump into the Word. The Bible tells us in Hebrews 11 verse 6 that without faith, it's impossible to please God. Because anyone who wants to come to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek after him. We have been on this journey for the last several weeks since Easter talking about building this life of faith. What does it really mean to be a follower of Christ? Week one, we talked about the body of Christ and the fact that all of us has been made on purpose and for a purpose. There's a reason why you're here on planet Earth. All of us need to discover it. Week two, we talked about building our lives on the foundation of Jesus and his word. Everything else will crumble, but when we build our lives on his teachings and don't let culture shape our values and our worldview, then when the winds and waves come, 
will be standing firm. Then last week we talked about the fact that there are always obstacles to the promises of God. There are giants in the land and we have to overcome those. If you missed any of those weeks, jump online or the app. You can check those out. Today I want to talk to you about the subject of faith and the fact that if we're going to live the life God's called us to live, we have to live by faith because without it, it's impossible to please God. But a life of faith is a life of firsts. It's a life of risk. It's a life that a lot of us sometimes want to shy away from because we like things to be comfortable and safe. And honestly, that's actually what's illustrated here on the stage today. To my right, we have this beautiful 1971 Stingray, and it is a gorgeous machine. This is the 454 LS6 engine that produced 400 plus horsepower, and it went 0 to 60 in 5.3 seconds, which is really incredible considering that it's contemporary, the Ford, uh, 365 GTB Daytona actually also went 0 to 60 in 5.3 seconds. This car was only $6,700 brand new. I bet we all wish we could go back in time and buy it because in good condition today, this car is worth over 200000 So that's nice, right, for whoever uh, got lucky with owning one of these. And it's a beautiful machine. The thing that's funny about it is back in 1971, the goal that the designer had was to go as fast as possible for as long as possible. So his goal was to be able to sustain 140 miles an hour with stability. So I just love people that manufacture cars that go twice the speed limit for a regular consistent period of time. They are trying to put us all in jail. That's what they're doing. And so it's a beautiful machine. And actually Corvette obviously is an incredible American brand. For those of you that are familiar with cars, you know that they build a wonderful American sports car that is available for a fraction of the price of all of its European competitors, and they do it so well. But then they realize that about C6, which every Corvette body style, it starts with a C, this is a C8, this is a C3. I read an article that said at about C6, they realized they were in trouble because they're trying to keep up with Ferrari and Lamborghini and all the performance specs, but their platform was growing a little outdated because the bigger the engine, the heavier the engine, and it's misplaced in the car because the weight's not over the back wheels. And so it messes with the stability. It messes with the ability to accelerate quickly from zero to 60, and they were starting to fall behind. They knew that they needed to change. And so there were rumblings of what we call a mid-engine Corvette back in those days, and still they continued to build the C6, continued to build the C7, high horsepower, beautiful vehicles, but falling behind their European counterparts, and they knew they were going to have to do something radical, and rumors started to take place that they were going to shift, and they really hadn't taken very many risks. To put it in perspective, they had built the Corvette for 66 years as a front-engine sports car. And over those 66 years, they had only revised the body style seven times. And to tell you how infrequent that is, in that same time period, we had 12 different presidents in this country. So they really didn't change the body style much, didn't really take a whole lot of risk until 2020 when they announced that they were going to do away with all the things Corvette owners love. They were going to put the engine in the back. And they were not going to offer it in a manual, which to me, really, they missed God on that one, okay? I really have to agree with all the haters on that particular point. 
But it was fascinating because people just started to tell them, this is the dumbest thing you could do. You're going to ruin the brand. You need to make a front engine and a rear engine. If you want a mid-engine, fine, but make one in the front for all of us that really love your brand. Nobody's going to buy it. Everybody's going to hate it. Don't you remember the Fiero? For those of you that don't remember the Fiero, GM very unsuccessfully made a mid-engine car called the Pontiac Fiero for about four years in the 80s, and it was a real piece of garbage. But they put a four-cylinder engine in a sports car. I just Those two things don't go together. I don't care who you are. It just doesn't make sense. So in 2020, they took the biggest risk that they've ever taken, and they released the mid-engine C8. This is a 2022 C8, and I would say that they were very successful. It has 490 horsepower, which actually makes it the lowest horsepower car of all the ones that we have featured but it moves. It goes 0 to 60 in 2.8 seconds, which makes it just as fast as the F8 that we had last week. Now, the problem I have with that is all of you people who own these cars. I don't know what it is about Corvette owners. I have never met one that actually drives their car fast. <laughs> what is wrong with the Corvette community? It's not made to go 0 to 60 in 10 years. Every time I pass a Corvette, I'm like, what is wrong with you? Drive your car. I don't care if you have gray hair or no hair. Your foot still works to push that pedal all the way to the floor. It ain't that hard. So for all of you who own a Corvette and drive it all the time when the weather's nice at 30 miles an hour in a 45, please do us all a favor. Buy a Buick. <laughs> sell your car. I love the fact that this is the only car that's even close to being accessible for most of us financially. If you're lucky enough to buy one of these close to sticker, you can get in that range for around 70000 They do range all the way up to 100000 which is still a third of the price of the Ferraris that compete with it. But they had to take a huge risk to keep up with the people they were competing with. And today, I just want you to know, in the life of faith, there's going to be times that you have to take huge risks. That's what faith is all about. You're going to have to do some things that seem crazy, and maybe all the people around you will tell you, you've lost your mind. You are not making the right decision. This is absolutely insane, and that's just a part of following Christ. We go to Matthew chapter 14. This story follows Jesus feeding the 5,000 with five loaves. And two fish. In Matthew chapter 14 and verse 22, we pick the story up. Immediately after feeding the people, Jesus insisted that his disciples get back into the boat and cross to the other side of the lake. And while he sent the people home, so after sending all the people home, Jesus went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. While night fell, he was there all alone. A couple of things I want you to notice that are significant about the life of faith that you can expect. The first thing, jot it down if you're taking notes, is that there will come a point in your Christian journey where you will feel compelled. I love the text where it said Jesus insisted that they get in the boat. That word insisted means he demanded or he almost like physically forced them to get in the boat and go to the other side. And there will be times in your journey of faith where you feel compelled by the Spirit. Sometimes it's in isolated incidents where you just feel, man, I just really need to say hello to this person. I need to invite that person to church. I, I need to step in and lead a circle. I feel compelled to join the team. I feel like God's 
calling me to give or, or calling me outside of my comfort zone to do this one specific thing. And then there are overarching themes, I believe, that God compels us with. There are things that should be keeping you awake tonight, stuff that you're passionate about, problems in the world that break your heart. There are things that God compels us to do that you think, man, this is the reason why I'm alive. And I know for my wife, Kate, one of those is children who are hurting. She just wakes up thinking about kids that are hurting. And it's baffling to me because she, she literally will get up crack of dawn and she'll be like, you know, I was, I, I woke up this morning and I was thinking about how we could solve this problem, how kids are in crisis in this area and these things are, are happening and we need to step in. And I think, man, half the time I forget that we have kids. We have six of them. She's like, I'm a little stressed because Thunder might be awake. And I'm like, oh yeah, Thunder, we do. He is alive. That's right. I forgot for a hot second there. Because it's just not my passion. It's her passion. She she just, she said, we got to open our home and foster. And that's how the whole foster care ministry of our church started because we just started trying to step in. And once we did, we thought, my goodness, stepping into a child's life who's in massive crisis is probably one of the most Christ-like things we could do. We should probably get everybody that we know doing this as much as possible so we can help these kids because there are thousands of kids in our own state that are caught in crisis because their parents are in a place where they're just not able to parent their children in the ways that they need, not able to provide the environment that they need. So we began just to help get people licensed and to do whatever we could. And that led to this thing that we call the foster care closet. And if you're unfamiliar with this, it, it, it was born out of a need that we had. When you get kids that are in crisis, usually DCS, they pull them from the home at like 2, 3 o'clock in the morning. They don't show up. Most times at the mid-afternoon. Sometimes they do, but a lot of times it's at weird times and stores aren't open and, and they have to come and swoop in and grab that child out of a dangerous situation. And so they don't have time to really pack all their clothes and they don't come with everything that they need. And the family doesn't know what type of placement they're going to get. So they may not have the formula or the diapers or the wipes or a swing or a crib or all the things that would be necessary to really nurture that child. And so we began to build, uh, because of your generosity, just a backstock of all those things that a family could need. We call it the foster care closet. And now we have an entire team, and we work in conjunction with DCS and all the other placement agencies that as soon as a child is pulled from their home, that family is notified that iTown has a wish list that you can go online and fill out. And the moment they fill that out, it gets sent to our staff and to our team. Somebody drives to the church, to the foster care closet, picks up everything. That family needs, drives it to the house along with a Bible and a $25 gift card to Kroger and says, Hey, we're praying for you and we love you. We're here for you. Isn't that amazing? And over 260 children were ministered in that way just last year alone. Isn't that incredible? Praise God for that. And just in the first part of this year, year to date, we've already blessed a hundred children, so we're on track to shatter last year's number. Just because my wife saw a need and said, we have the resources and the ability to make a difference. Compelled. I grew up in church. I shouldn't really view the world as an outsider, but I view the church world. It's just this thing I was born with. I don't see it as a Christian. I always filter church through the lens of the person that's never been or has been de-churched for a while. 
And so I'm always asking questions like, how would I know that? And what insider Christian language and the type of religious environments that Christians can sometimes inadvertently create that are a lot like the Pharisees that make people who don't look like us or dress like us or act like us or vote like us or believe like us feel like an outsider. And Jesus spent his whole ministry making outsiders feel like insiders and letting them know that they were the ones that he came to give his life for. The only people he ever really attacked in his earthly ministry were the people who were Pharisees, the religious people who thought they had it all together. He never got mad at the world for acting like the world. And we need to be the same. We need to share the love of Jesus. We need to break down walls for people. We need to make sure that we create a place where people feel comfortable and safe. And I've always said if our church didn't have a little crack on the doorstep, we weren't doing our job reaching the right people. And I heard a testimony recently of a guy who came to church. He would come to worship. He'd go to the bathroom and snort a couple lines of coke and then come back in for the message and I thought praise God we are reaching the right people because today he is set free by the power of God and serving the Lord praise the Lord It's a passion of mine. We don't create a club for Christians. We are here to reach God's lost kids, and that will always be our focus. And to God be the glory, because these stupid machines on the stage, we've seen 403 people make decisions for Christ in the last two weekends alone. Praise God for that. So what crisis are you called to solve? What problem are you called to fix? What thing are you passionate about? The Holy Spirit will draw you, will compel you. You know, this is what I've been put on planet earth to do. God will lead you. Jesus puts you in the boat. It's like when when you're driving down 86th Street here in Castleton and you think, Lord, if that light is on, I know it's your will for me to get a Krispy Kreme today. And about the sixth time around the block, that light flips on. You say, praise the Lord. That's his will. I'm going. Compelled. It's got to be things you're compelled towards in this life, but here's the problem. Verse 24, the disciples, meanwhile, were in trouble far away from land because a strong wind had risen and they were fighting the heavy waves. See, when you get compelled, you'll get out in that boat doing something great for God and all of a sudden you get confronted. In fact, it's just a principle of life. If you're moving in the direction God's called you to move, you are spiritually against whatever the devil's trying to do. Because Jesus came to break the power of the devil off of people's lives. So if you don't have any resistance in your life, you probably are moving in the same direction as the devil. Sometimes we think resistance means we're doing something wrong. No, I think it's an indicator we're doing everything right. Because they're confronted by the winds and the waves that are now beating against them. And sometimes those seasons can be pretty confusing and pretty frustrating. If we go back to our text, it says the disciples were in trouble far away from land. You see, God always is calling us to the depths of life, to the places that we have to give up control. When we're in the place where the current leads us where we should go, but it's in that place that really we're risking a lot because it feels like those are the moments when we feel a little bit out of control and we're not sure it's all going to work out that the devil attacks us. It's kind of like when you're on a road trip. I don't know if this is true for you, but when we go on a road trip, it it feels like I never have to really go to the bathroom until I pass the last gas station for 150 miles. You don't know what I'm talking about? Like, 
couple weeks ago, we went down to Birmingham for a church conference, some of our staff, and it was great. We had a wonderful time, but Kate and I were in the car. We're driving along, and uh, we're passing all these gas stations like, baby, you got to go? She's like, oh, I could probably go pretty soon. I was like, you know, I got to go too. So we'll pass. The next one will stop. And like, as I'm saying that, we're passing this beautiful travel center with all, you know, like it's got Pilot and Loves and the Travel Lodge. It's got everything, every choice you can imagine, a Cracker Barrel if you want to stop for 17 hours, the whole thing. Like, it'll be another one. We're driving. 10 miles turns into 20 miles, turns into 50 miles. Now, you know, you're driving like this. Like, praise the Lord. It's going to be trouble. We finally find a gas station to pull off to. And it's one of those sketch gas stations that, like, somebody here is going to eat my kid. It's going to be bad. They're going to disappear. They're not just going to kill us. They're going to eat us. It's going to be. We walk inside, and not only is it super sketchy, but the women's bathroom is like under construction with tape all over it, and there's like no other alternative for the women. I was like, baby, I could guard the men's bathroom. She was like, are you kidding me? You see how dirty this place is? I'd rather die. That's how the devil works in your life. Just about the time that you're far away from any safety is when he comes against you. I'll never forget when we were in the process of trying to build this building. We had never purchased land before. We'd never really taken a big risk like that. And we were working on getting the finances together, and we put together a purchase agreement to buy the Gray Eagle Driving Range. Some of you weren't here back then, but I promise you can still go on to Reddit and find out how people felt about it. Not a popular decision, turns out. We thought it would be a win-win for the community, but people were not happy with the idea that we were going to bring too much traffic to that area. And, and honestly, we thought we had a pretty good reputation and doing some good things in the community, making a difference, and people got real upset. And so our first reaction was, we need to fight this. They were complaining we had too many people, so we just played right into their plan and took hundreds of people down to city council and flooded the office with proving that we were not going to overrun the city with people. I don't know what our plan was with that, but not a great strategy. I remember the season when it's like, man, this is not what we started the church for. It feels like we're at odds with the community that we're trying to reach, and the devil's trying to manipulate things and turn things. And so now we're in this fight Our text says that they were far away from land because this strong wind and they're fighting these heavy waves. I love in Mark, it also gives the account of this story and it says Jesus saw that they were in serious trouble, rowing hard and struggling against the winds and waves. A couple thoughts I want to give you. First of all, if you're in that place, some of you are in that place today, you have stepped out for God, compelled by the Spirit, and now you're getting the resistance against you and thinking, I must have done something wrong. I'm not exactly sure where God is in all of this. It feels like the Lord has kind of hung us out to dry. I think I heard from the Lord. I just want you to know Jesus sees you. Here are the disciples in the middle of the lake, and some three miles away, the Bible says, Jesus looked, and he saw that they were in trouble. He sees your struggle. He cares about the condition that you're in, and I promise he'll be there soon to rescue you if you'll just hold tight. But the thing that's fascinating to me is that the Bible tells us they're struggling trying to row against the waves. And it brings me back to my own life 
And how many times we fail to see the devil's resistance for what it is. Because the attacks that are coming against you to keep you from doing what God's called you to do are not natural, they're spiritual. But oftentimes, we try and create natural solutions for spiritual problems. Yes, there are real winds and waves in the story that are beating against the boat of the disciples. But really, if you think about it, it's an attack of the devil. Oftentimes, these storms would come seemingly to take them out, which would have been the devil's preference, obviously, because if you have no disciples, you have no day of Pentecost. You have no day of Pentecost. You have no church. You have no church. You have no us. Jesus gave his life to build his church that the gates of hell would not prevail against. We are here today because 11 of those 12 disciples worked out, and they preached the gospel and gave their lives for what we're able to believe in and be a part of. This movement called the body of Christ is what we get to be a part of today because of those 12. So the disciples are in a place of physical danger because the devil spiritually is trying to wipe them out, but they're responding in a natural way by just rowing harder. So my question for you today, as you're up against the natural resistance, is are, does your fighting look like rowing or does your fighting look like praying? Because sometimes we respond in the wrong way. We try to create natural solutions for spiritual problems. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with rowing hard and keeping your head down and grinding it out. I'm just saying don't forget that this is a spiritual battle. The Bible says we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against principalities and spirits of darkness in this world. It's a spiritual battle. And that's actually what happened for Kate and I. We backed up from all of this because everybody in our church kept saying, we need to pray that city council votes that we can have that property. And we said, actually, that's not the prayer that we want to pray. Let's just pray that the Holy Spirit would reveal what the Lord has for us because what the devil intended for harm, God could turn for the good. We just got to make sure that we get God's will on this. And not our will, because sometimes we get involved actually in spiritual witchcraft because we try and pray our own agenda into God's will. And what God had for us was not a vote at city council that we would get the Gray Eagle property. What God had for us is 10 additional acres for 700,000 less dollars on the highway where we are now sitting for the Olson Farms campus, to God be the glory. It's better. It's better. What the devil thought he would use to turn everything all upside down and backwards, God used to actually advance the cause of Christ and do what only he could do. So about 3 o'clock in the morning, verse 25 in our text says, Jesus came toward them walking on the water, and when the disciples saw him, they were terrified, and in their fear they cried out, it's a ghost. We talked about this last weekend. This is the same thing the devil does, the same play over and over. So we get compelled by the Spirit. We get confronted by the enemy, and then oftentimes, thirdly, jot it down, we get confused. Here are the disciples, the ones who had spent the most time with Jesus, and they did not recognize him because they'd never seen him do what he was doing before. They'd never seen him walk on water. And isn't it funny sometimes? When we get in crisis, that God sends us the answer to our problem and we reject the solution. 
Here's Jesus. He's the one that can calm the winds and waves because he's already proven it. There was a story just a few months earlier for the disciples where he was asleep in the boat and the storm is raging against them. And in just a word, Jesus said, peace, be still. And the storm stopped. He was the solution. He had already proven that he had authority over the winds and waves. He was the very thing that they needed. They needed the presence of Jesus. And yet when they saw him walking on the water, it was something they'd never seen him do before. And so they didn't have the eyes to receive it and they rejected him. Which is a wonderful lesson because I don't know about you, but I believe that there's another move of God coming. The Bible prophesies that revival would come, that there'd be another last great awakening worldwide, that hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people, as he pours out his spirit, would come to faith in Christ. And I want our church to be a part of it. But in order to be a part of it, we have to make sure that we are open to the new things that God is doing because we can't just worship the same and give the same and serve the same and see God move in a new way because we, if we're not careful as the people who have been a part of this move of God could be the very first to call the next move of God the devil. Look at church history. Every movement that led a great awakening or a great revival were the first to condemn the next move of God. And it was God in every move. We've got to make sure that we are flexible to what the Holy Spirit is doing and how God is leading and the fact that it may not look the same as anything we've ever seen before. They got confused. They called Jesus the devil. They didn't see him for who he was. They didn't see the solution. And maybe you're in that place where you're just kind of, man, I stepped out for God and I've got all this resistance in my life and, and, and I don't like the correction I'm receiving over here and I don't like the encouragement over there and I'm not sure that's really the Lord and I'm really in an uncomfortable place. I just want you to know that he's there for you. A couple of things you have to do as we live this life of faith in the few minutes that we have left. Jesus says in verse 27, don't be afraid, take courage because I am here. I love that. He didn't say don't be afraid because I've already calmed the storm. No, he said in the midst of the storm, you don't have to fear because I am here. You see, peace in life is not the absence of something, but the presence of someone. You can still have all the craziness, and you can still have everybody talking about you and hating on you and life feeling like it's falling apart around you, and yet you can have peace in the midst of that storm because Jesus is with you. So Jesus says, hey, guys, I'm here. Everything is going to be all right. Verse 28, Peter takes the biggest risk probably in Scripture, and I love it. He says, if that's really you, tell me to come to you walking on the water. And Jesus said, come on, Pete. And Peter jumps over the side of the boat, and he walks towards Jesus. There are moments in life that we have got to jump out of the boat, do something crazy, take the engine from the front and put it in the back. And the world is going to say, you have lost your mind. That is crazy. That cannot be the Lord. What are you doing? What have you been smoking? I can't believe that you'd be willing to do it. But for Peter, it wasn't the first time. If you look at his life, the Bible tells us that when Jesus called him, he was fishing. Remember, Jesus used his boat to go preach and then said, Pete, I want you to go fishing again. And of course, Peter was a terrible fisherman. He should have quit because every time he fishes in the Bible, he never catches anything. It's pretty awful. 
But he was like, we were pretty unsuccessful, Jesus. Jesus said, oh, let's go back out. We'll try it again. So throw him over to the other side. And when he did, the Bible says his nets were full if you've never read the story, it's incredible. Their nets were breaking. Their partners in business come over. Their fish are just flopping everywhere. They get to the shore. It's the biggest sale in company history. Never had so many fish. And Jesus said to him, I want to make you fishers of men. Leave your nets now. Like, don't take this and go cash it in and then follow me. He said, I just want you to leave everything right here and come follow me. At the height of business success, Peter tells us later, he left his family, he left his house, he left his business, he left all that profit. He risked it all. How many of us on the brink of the biggest financial windfall of our lives would walk away from all of it to go do something or follow someone that nobody's ever heard of? Peter knows great risk and it's paid off. So now he's willing to risk his life to jump out of the boat and he teaches us this principle. If you're going to live a life of faith, it requires action. The Bible tells us faith without works is dead. And I'm not minimizing the other 11 disciples because it took a lot of faith just to be in that boat that day. Pretty incredible people that did amazing things for God. But only Peter got to walk on water because only Peter jumped out of the boat. For some of you, it's time to jump out of the boat. I know you got people in your ear that are telling you, man, that's crazy. I don't understand why you're doing that. I, I, I think that's probably a poor choice. But I'm just telling you, you'll never do anything extraordinary if you play it safe. I'll never forget we were getting ready to plant I-Town. We knew no one in the city. We were uprooting our young family. Our kids were two, one, and zero. Henley Jane was just a few months old. Moving to a city where we didn't know anybody. We had a good job at Church of the Highlands. We had our insurance taken care of. We had bought a brand new house. We were leading successful ministries surrounded by friends in a stable place. And we had people who were close to us that said, you have lost your mind. This is the dumbest thing you could do with your life. What are you possibly thinking? This is absolutely insane. And we said, we feel called. We are compelled by the Spirit. There is someone's destiny on the other side of our obedience. And we have to go because we are called. And so we picked up our family and we moved to this city not knowing anybody. And the dream of I-Town in 2010 became a reality. Requires that you take a step. But here's the problem. When he saw the strong wind and the waves, he get terrified, verse 30, and began to sink. Number two, faith requires focus. Once you jump out of the boat, sometimes there's this rationale thing that begins to take place. Your mind starts to take over. You get in a moment of faith. You're like, man, God can do the impossible. It's going to be amazing. It's all going to be great. And then you get two or three days down the road from leaving your job, starting that ministry, giving that big financial gift, signing up to serve, going on that mission trip, and you get to wherever God's called you to go, and you think, what have I done? I've missed God. I've lost my mind. Peter started to look at all the conditions surrounding his circumstance and thought, this is crazy. It's like it settles in. I'm walking on water. Now, the thing that's fascinating to me is what God's doing in your life has nothing to do with the climate or the conditions around you. I hope you all know that. Like, 
We don't turn on ESPN and see the World Water Walking Championships delayed due to inclement weather. No one can walk on water in any weather. It didn't matter that it was stormy or calm. The miracle was that he was walking on water as he focused on Jesus, not that he was doing it in the storm. But see, we get convinced that somehow the economy has something to do with the outcome of our faith or our relationships have some say over what God wants to do in our lives or that something that we didn't foresee when we jumped out of the boat is now going to sink us. And the reality is we just got our eyes on the wrong thing. You're focused on the wrong thing. Peter got his focus off of Jesus and that's why he began to sink faith requires that we stay focused save me lord he cried and jesus immediately reached out and grabbed him pulls him back up number three as we close faith lastly requires perseverance you're going to live a life of faith you got to jump out of the boat you got to take a big risk while you're taking that risk you better keep your eyes on jesus because everything else in this life will fill you full of doubt and fear and you'll begin to sink But lastly, I believe it really requires perseverance. And this is for somebody today because in verse 32, the best revelation I've ever had of this story tells us that they climbed back into the boat. Now, maybe this is stretching scripture and you can throw it out if you want to. Read the Bible for yourself. It'd be awesome. It'll help you. Don't just trust what I say. But in order for Peter to have climbed back in the boat, My simple mind says he had to have been standing on something. Otherwise, the Bible would have said Jesus threw Peter in the boat and then climbed in himself. But the Bible says both of them climbed in the boat, which tells me that Peter walked on water twice. And I'm here to tell somebody today, just because you jumped out of the boat and you got your eyes focused on the wrong thing and you feel like your life fell apart, doesn't mean that God's finished with you. It doesn't mean that it's over. Doesn't mean you can't still have that great marriage, raise those great kids, have that incredible ministry because God is a God of second chances, a God of fifth chances, a God of 15 chances. He is a God of mercy and grace. His mercy is new every morning. Scripture says, great is your faithfulness. I'm so thankful that God is better to us than we deserve. And if you feel like your life is sinking today, maybe you just need to refocus on Jesus and walk on water again. Because the Bible tells us in Galatians chapter 6, don't become weary in doing good because you will reap a harvest if you do not give up. Life of faith. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I want to pray that God would give you the faith, the courage to jump out of that boat today. You'll never be all God's called you to be if you stay on the shore. You'll never be all that God's called you to be if you're just in the boat. Some of you have been called to take that big step of faith, and I want to pray today that you'd be willing to risk it all. But some of you here today, you've not yet taken the step to place your faith in Jesus. Others of you, maybe you did, but you got into that moment of resistance. You got into that moment of sinking. You got focused on all the things around you. Maybe today you feel like you're drowning. This is a moment to fix your eyes on Jesus. He's always there for you. And I promise that if you cry out to him, just like Peter did, He'll reach out his hand 
and he'll rescue you today. With every head bowed and every eye closed at every campus, I want to lead you in a simple moment to give you the opportunity to surrender your life to Jesus. Maybe you've never done that before. Or maybe at one point you did, but then you got focused on all these other things in life. And now you feel like you're sinking. God's not mad at you. He's not trying to get even with you. He's not trying to judge you. He's trying to rescue you. And today could be your day if you'll just open your heart to him. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, I'm not going to make you stand or come to the front, but I do want to pray a simple prayer with you that will help you surrender your life to the person of Jesus. The Bible calls it salvation. He'll make you into a brand new person. Even in the midst of all the chaos, you can have peace. If that's you today, and you're ready to pray at all of our campuses, would you just lift your hand up high for just a moment to say, Dave, that's me. Would you count me in? Come on right now, all over this place and all of our campuses, put your hand up high. Say, I'm ready. Yeah, yeah. That's awesome. It's incredible. All over this place, you can put your hands down. If you haven't already, here's what we'll do. I'm going to lead you in a simple prayer. And you can pray it quietly in your heart because God will hear you. Just make it your own. Just say, Lord Jesus, forgive me today. For going my own way, I repent. Today, I surrender to you. Come and be my Lord. Make me brand new. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. And help me to live this life for you. In Jesus' name. Now, Lord, I thank you for every person here. For this amazing journey of faith that we get to take together. God, I ask today that you would infuse us with an incredible level of faith. When the moment, the opportunity comes, I pray that we would... Be sensitive to the leading of the Spirit. When you invite us, God, I pray that you would give us the faith to jump out of the boat. God, we thank you no matter what the circumstances look like around us. If we just focus on you, we'll be fine. For those of us that have lost our focus today, I pray that you would help us to cry out to you because your word promises you're an ever-present help in time of trouble. God, we need you. And we love you today. Thank you for your goodness and for your mercy. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said amen. Amen. Come on, church, would you put your hands together, celebrate with those who prayed that prayer today. Thank you so much for joining iTown Church online today. We would love to have the chance to meet you and your family in person at one of our campuses. Or, of course, you can join us streaming live online this weekend. Now for more details about times and locations and even some of our streaming options, you can go to itownchurch.com. I sure hope to see you soon. God bless.